Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Adi. This week, we continue our series over reconciliation. Enjoy. Reconciling with someone else where you are the person who's in the conflict, so that's kind of one hat you might wear. But the other hat that very often Christians are or find themselves in is that you are the one facilitating reconciliation between uh, two other parties. So if you've ever had brothers and sisters, maybe you were the reconciler between the brothers and sisters. Okay, that could be a possibility. Uh, always in families, this always happens. And very often in, in church settings, it does as well. And maybe it can extend out even to uh, neighborhoods and and maybe even society in, uh, in general. So you might remember last week, and I put it back up here, the graphic of the, uh, the idea of the suspension bridge. So the suspension bridge, with, with respect to that, it, its viability and its integrity is dependent upon an equal part of tension that, is, that exists from the, from, the, from the two poles. So if either pole pulls too hard, or if the tension is too great from what pulling one side versus the other, then the bridge itself will fail. And so again, that's the idea of, of thinking of reconciliation and how you, how you end up having to have equal pressure or equal tension on either side. That is a hard task. Because when the two poles of the bridge represent human beings, each of whom feels like he or she is in the right, then what happens is, is that each person is pulling hard and trying to get everybody else to agree with them, trying to get everyone else to see it their way, trying to get everyone else to be on their side. And if you have two parties, both of whom who feel they're in the right, and everybody else is in the wrong, where will the pressure be located? It'll be located with whoever it is that's in the middle. And that's one of, that's one of the things I like to talk about, is that if you're going to be involved in reconciliation ministry, or even going to be someone who's trying to reconcile with somebody else, this is not an easy task. And particularly if you're the one who's trying to facilitate reconciliation between the two parties, you need to be prepared for the likelihood that you're going to catch it from both sides. And that's a tough task. Not everybody is up to it. But we can all do what we can do to uh, make it easier, if you will, to be, to be in a relationship with somebody with whom you disagree you can still make it easier in terms of the idea that even if I don't totally agree with you and you don't totally agree with me, we can still live at peace with each other. And I think that right now, with everything being so polarized in our country, society, our community, to some degree in our church on certain things, that that gets harder and harder to do. And so what's what we want to talk about is how do you go about doing that? Okay, so that's the point of the, uh, of the little uh, suspension bridge. Now, God's Word has provided to us 
some tools and some guidance and some, some instruction. Uh, I like to call it the template in terms of how do you talk through differences and conflicts among Christians. And where that's it, I have it printed out for you on your, on your guide, is Matthew 18, 15 to 20, which probably almost anybody who's ever been involved in church leadership knows these verses. However, there's a difference between knowing something and doing something, <laughs> okay? If you, I don't know, has anybody ever looked at our church's constitution or bylaws? Anybody here ever done that? Anybody here ever looked at any constitution and bylaws of any church? If you ever have, you'll see these verses in there. They're written in there in terms of, okay, this is how Christians do this, right? Um, wishful thinking in, in many cases. You might want to, you know, look at that sometime. Okay, let's look at uh, Matthew 18, uh, 15 to 20. Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they re refuse to listen uh, even to the church, Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so before we get into it, what do you, what, what do you take away from this? What, what's your impression of this? Or what's your, what do you hear? What, what, do you, what are you seeing? First thing that jumped out was me, at me was just between the two of you. And what is it about that that jumped off the page for you? Because I've done it in a group on Facebook, and I shouldn't have done that. Okay. <laughs> I mean, just being honest. Yeah, and you're the only one here that's ever done that. Yeah, right. Like I said I was sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did, I know. So, it, so that, those verses probably convict us just a little bit, because it reminds us what we should have done that probably we didn't do. Yeah, Sharon. Well, I have a question. It says, if your brother or sister sins, and you said against you that wasn't here is that does it mean it has to be against you or if they're just sinning some way that you so this is always so interesting to me <laughs> it, it just is is when we read stuff like this we want to get real uh detailed and say okay now what if it's just against somebody else but it is against me i mean you know that's kind of what we do okay so that's why i use the word template okay so, so the idea is, is that if it's against you or somebody else, or, and now we can argue about is it sin or not sin, which everybody wants to do, right? Well, you call it sin, but I call it, you know, a difference. If you think of it as a template, the instructive part of the template is, is that when there is something you have against somebody else or they have it against you, and we'll talk about does it matter if it was intentional or not? We'll talk about that. What does the, what's the guide say? What's the template say you are to do? Go and work it out with that person by yourself. And if that doesn't work out, then what? Take a couple friends. Bring a couple friends who also hate that person. <laughs> and then you can really ram them because I'll be three on one, by golly, you know. See, I mean, again, see, what we do is we take God's perfect template and then we sort of say, well, I'll fudge it in my favor 
because after all, I'm the one that's right. <laughs> right? That's what we do. I'm the one that's right. And clearly, this is the person that's wrong. And because I'm right, and that person's wrong. Of course, at the same time, this person is saying, well, I'm the one that's right, and you're the one that's wrong. And so the template says, go and do it one-on-one. That's the initial step. Okay, so that's, yeah. So, uh, okay, anything else? Jump off anybody? Did anybody else? Yeah, Richard? The word sin. What? The word sin. See, I knew somebody was going to ask that one. Yeah, go ahead. Because, because I, when I look at it, I mean, we all have different tastes and things that we prefer. So I'm extremely sinful with the hot sauce. <laughs> That's my taste. And I think sometimes we use that word sin as a hammer to beat on people when really it's a matter of taste. And I, and I remember when we went through Pastor Coleman's instruction, and he talked about, I think it was three things that caused the most conflict in church. Yeah. One of them was choice of hymns. Choice of hymns, yeah, that's a big yeah, one. I don't remember all three of them, but that yeah. kind of stuck with me. And it's right. like, they're all hymns. It's a matter of taste. But when we start arguing, we call them sins. What were the other two? Do you remember what they were? Now it's going to bug me the rest of the day. Yeah. yeah. I'll ask him. Yeah. Yeah, do that, yeah. Like I said, it was... It was really profound, mm-hmm. that statement that we focus in on these little bitty things and we beat on people and we call them sinful. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it goes to, you know, one of my favorite verses is in Colossians that talks about make allowances for other people's faults. Oh, boy. <laughs> and forgive them when they offend you yeah. because we are all going to offend yeah. everybody else at least once or twice well and right now because the anxiety level is so high everywhere the sensitivity levels that everybody has to anything that's different okay see diff- differences end up um it's not so much that the difference itself is the problem, it's the way that people are handling the differences and then the poor way in which we um, uh, treat each other in, in, the, in the light of the differences. Okay, and that's kind of what we're, that's what we're focusing on here. All right, well, let's, let's take a look at some of the details of the verse and see if there's some way that we can weasel out from under it, okay? Because <laughs> that's going to be the first uh, test. All right, so... He says, if your brother or sister sins against you. So the Greek word there for sin is uh, uh, amartain, amartain. And the idea of, of this is that it's kind of an umbrella term. I like to look at it as an umbrella term for the many ways that you could hurt or offend someone whether you did that intentionally or not. So, so let's think in terms of what are some of the words that we use in church world to describe a sin if we think of it as, a, as a, uh, an umbrella term. So um, like, for example, in the Lord's Prayer, the old, the old version of the Lord's Prayer is forgive us our trespasses 
as we forgive those that trespass against us. So the word trespass, you th- always, whenever I think of the word trespass, I always think of a, a sign on somebody's tree out in East Texas where it says, posted, no trespassing, right? No hunting or whatever it is. But, but what is that sign saying to the person that reads it? Here's the line, don't cross it, right? And then when the... Uh, Texas game warden comes and catches the guy on the other side and says, did you have the landowner's permission? By the way, do you know how I know all this? (laughs) I'll just leave it up to you to figure that out. Um, Is uh, his, he'll say, well, do you have the landowner's permission? And usually the person says, no, I didn't know. And that sort of lame stuff. And then that, well, it's posted there, do not trespass. So sometimes people can trespass without knowing the line was there, right? Other times they don't care because they'll say, well, I've hunted here my whole life. And they're kind of offended that somebody would even dare put that line in place. But that's what the idea of trespass is, okay? Um, Offense, we kind of know what that is. Break a commandment against, anybody unsure about what commandments we're talking about here? All right, there's 10 of them, right? Um, Trespass, I mentioned that one over boundaries. What could also be included in that umbrella is is a misunderstanding that you would have with somebody. I mean, how how much of that is going on today where people are saying stuff and it's coming out wrong and nobody's listening anyway, and so whatever they hear doesn't get interpreted correctly, and so then you have a misunderstanding, or you have a misinterpretation. I heard you say that, but I thought you meant this. And then what about assumptions? You know what they say about assumptions. (laughs) Yeah, some things we don't have to repeat here, right? Okay, all right. But another way for that to happen is devalue someone by disregarding or seeking to invalidate them, especially when they disagree with you or see or have a point of view that's different from yours. So see, there's a lot of different ways that we can do that. Some of the sins that we do are intentional. I always like to say that, it's in my experience anyway, that, that uh, 95% of the time in Christian relationships, and maybe it's true in others, but I just that's my world to think of it that way, Um, 95% of the time, if we hurt each other's feelings, we didn't mean to. So what would account for the other 5%? I meant to. (laughs) Right? You hurt me and I what? Hurt you back. I feel unequal in this moment, so I'm going to make things right. I'm going to make them equal. Well, the problem with making them equal is they're never equal. So as soon as I'm down here, if I try to make it equal, I go up here. Okay, so it's just, it's just kind of one of those human, human aspects of that. All right, and so what is the effect of sin? If we, it, it, to not get so uh, anal about the idea that, well, this is sin and this isn't sin. If you think of it from the perspective of the effect of sin, I think that's actually more helpful when it comes to what are we going to do with it. And so what is it that sin does is it creates a gap all right, it creates a space where there is a disconnect. 
And the disconnect can be characterized by anger and hurt and fear and upset and all those things. But it still is nonetheless, it's that chasm that we talked about last week. Remember that there's the gap between the two parties. And when you have that, then that in itself can be problematic. So it creates this chasm of hurt and mistrust. And if you don't have the bridge, if you don't have a way to bring the two together in some way, then what happens is, is that there is a giant pile of yuck that is formed between the two people. So if you look on the second page, I drew out the yuck pile for you. Okay? Because that's one of the things that can occur between two people, and it certainly can happen in the immediate sense, but very often also happens over time. That the stress that exists because the thing that's between the two people hasn't been resolved or worked on or even addressed or even acknowledged, right? What happens is, is that over time, people say, well, we just forgot about it. Well, we just moved on. Well, no, you didn't. You just threw it in the yuck pile. And so if you look at the definition of the kinds of things that are in the yuck pile, unforgiven sins, for example, Times when you felt controlled. Uh, times when there were unresolved hurts. Um, it's that we can no, no longer talk through. You're going to see me, uh, I use the word it a lot to describe the thing that is the thing between us. It's a scientific word, it. But it actually really, actually, uh, uh, really aptly describes what can happen and I, I, I find this very true. When, like when somebody will come in my office, two people come in my office, and they're upset with each other about something, and I'll say, well, what is, what is the thing? What's the thing? And they'll go, well, we don't even remember what it was, <laughs> right? But what they can remember is how poorly they dealt with it, right? <laughs> so that's what I'm talking about when I use that word, it, all right? It's that we can no longer talk through. And you find that to be true in, in many relationships, is that there are some topics or there's some issues or, or single, even single it's that as soon as one person brings it up, it explodes. And that's a lot of what's going on today. So you think about what's going on today. What, what is one thing that all somebody has to say is that one word and you can just feel the blood pressure in everybody's uh, heart go up or the level of the anxiety just right up. What's one thing, uh, example, one thing? Pardon? Politics, Politics yeah. How about the word mask? Oh. <laughs> Which, when you think about it, what is a mask? It's a piece of cloth that has these little spongy things on it. But, but it represents something to some people and represents something entirely different to other people. And then, therefore, that creates the triggering. That's the triggering mechanism for people's feelings to come out and certainly feelings to be, to be felt. You, it's just amazing to me how this little thing is bringing out the worst in people. Not because it's the thing that's doing it. 
It's because the choice that we're making to behave badly with that. So it just, it, it, it's a way for us to be mindful of that. Broken trust, um, current events reminding me of my painful past. Can you think of any other things that would go into uh, your, your yuck pile? Because everybody has one. How about times when you got burned in the past? How about that? Could stuff like that go in there? How about when somebody wasn't nice to you? Could that go in there? See, it, it's kind of a collection spot. Okay, now if you notice that the, uh, the drawing of the yuck pile has, a, there's like a second line there like that. And so that layer is what I think becomes resentment. So what's the difference between resentment and just plain old anger or hurt? How does something become resentment? Do, any of you experienced in growing resentment? How, how does that work? Nobody's going to answer that question. Uh, yeah. Resentment is reliving hurt. Yeah. And so there is, a, there is a sense of that there was an initial thing that started the hurt or the, 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 the anger or whatever it was, okay, however it was handled, all right? And then what happens is over time, and that's the other part with resentment. Resentment is not something that just pops up right away. It's over time. I'm not only am I remembering the thing that occurred, but I am feeding my heart and my mind and my soul with the hurt that that was caused. So if there's an overtime recalling of it, all right? And one of the things that's really interesting about recall, especially of either traumatic things or hurtful things or sad things, whatever the thing might be, okay? is that because our, the memory part of our brain is connected to the feeling part of our bodies, it isn't just like you can remember it without some effect on you. See, that's the difference between remembering and recalling sort of idea, is that what happens is what you remember, your body relives. So if the thing that you are choosing to remember or just, your body, your mind just remembers it, okay? It's very difficult at that moment to stop your body from reacting to it in the present, even though it might have happened 20 years ago. And you see, that's the value. That's one of the things that's so important when we talk about forgiveness, is that what forgiveness does is it short circuits that, that uh, movement toward uh, resentment. Now, people will always ask, they always ask me, well, what if, the, what if the thing that that person did to me was so terrible, so abusive, so, so uh, traumatic that I can never forgive that person? That's where that person's uh, biggest work has to take place, is in forgiveness. Because kind of the rule of thumb is, is that what I don't forgive, I will eventually resent. And the problem with resentment is, and maybe you've, I've, no, I've been here with this. The problem with resentment is, is that it affects your whole being. It's not, you can't compartmentalize resentment and have it where you say, well, I will only resent in this area of that person. It fills your whole self. And it turns what can be a real positive and, uh, and, and uh, joyous life 
into one that is that is negatively affected by the resentment. So there's a lot there's a good there's a lot of good uh, science here, and certainly theology in terms of of uh, of what to do with that. If you want to look up a scripture that is very helpful in terms of uh, of this connection between the mind and the body on that is go to Lamentations 3, I think it's 16, something like that, to 22, something like that. And in Lamentations, what uh, Jeremiah, that's who we think wrote Lamentations, what he talks about in there is that he remembers the, the struggle that he had in life. He calls it, I remember the wandering. I remember the, 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 how lost I felt. I remember, and, and then he says, I well remember it in my body. The bitterness and the gall, so to speak, okay? But then what he says a little later on is, yet this I recall. I recall God's mercy and God's love and God's grace for me. And so see what he's talking about is, is that it's easy to go here. But when we remember, in other words, when we recall, when we feed ourselves with the good news of what God has done for us in Christ, that's the antidote for this. Because if I don't have that, if I don't have Christ in me, what else do I have going for me that's powerful enough to overcome resentment? And always with resentment, there's fear. The fear that whatever happened to me before is going to happen again. I just know it. I just know it. And see, that can feed somebody in the sense that it totally can um, uh, overtake the joy that they have in life. Maybe you've known people in your own um, circles who you kind of would describe as a bitter person. Have you ever known anyone that you, th- that you would think of it that way? It's like, it's like everything has an edge to it. Everything has a, uh, there's a suspicion there. There's a, um, uh, a diff- it's difficult to be with that person because no matter what you say in the positive sense, that person will take it and turn it into a fearful thing or a negative thing or something about which they're resentful. And so that's why I say it's not like a person can just be resentful about this one little thing. It's like fear. It permeates the whole thing and can affect the, uh, the whole person. Okay, so, so that's the idea of resentment. Okay, so what, is, what does Jesus say? He says, okay, here's, uh, here's one person and here's the other person. And they have some it. I guess we better put the it in there. Okay. So we'll put it in there. That's what I call it. I used to, by the way, in, in some of the uh, presentations that I do, I, I, I teach this um, format in, uh, in churches. And I used to have the word it spelled capital I, capital T, and everybody thought I was talking about IT. So... <laughs> <laughs> And I don't know anything about IT, so I had to change the I, to, and that's why I had to spill it that way. Okay, all right, so what does Jesus say? He says, let's see, how, how do he say it again? Oh, yeah, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Now, what do you hear in the way that's stated? You're not accusing, you're just pointing out. Oh, yeah, just pointing <laughs> out, uh-huh. So we need to kind of talk about the manner in which that's done, correct? 
Because there's nothing finer than you've messed up in some way and then somebody coming and pointing out to you and using the finger motion that goes with that. And if they do it too much, you will have your own finger motion that comes back. All right. So what he says is, so what this says is attention must be paid to the manner and the tone. I know, totally irreverent here. Um, The manner and the tone in which the going and the pointing out takes place. So the first thing you have to do, let's, so what this says is, okay, so let's pretend that a, person A is the one who um, offended person B. Okay, let's just use that so we are all kind of on the same page here on, in terms of the board. All right, so what does Jesus say that person B is supposed to do? is to be the one to go. Okay, so the question that I'm asking is in terms of how you do it and the manner and the tone in which you do it is that person B is probably going to have to do some things to make it easier for person A to hear him. Does that make sense when I say it that way? Okay, so that's what we're talking about here. So, all right, so the first thing that person B has to do is check the level of how upset you are. I put it on a, on a, a horizontal line, but I'm doing it vertical here on the board. So I'm going to put one here, I'm going to put 10 here, and I'm going to put seven here, and then there's a giant six here in the middle, if you want to draw that. Okay, so the way this works is... The 10 is I'm going ballistic and I'm going to kill somebody (laughs) and I'm seeing red and there's no way that I'm going to be able to think rationally at all because all I know is I'm extremely upset about what A did and I want that person to know about it. All right. So the reality is, is that in terms of internal stress that people feel Anything from a 7 to a 10 is almost the same. So how would you know? Well, how many of you have smart watches? Do you have smart watches? You know what a smart watch is? It's one that does more than just tells time. I don't have a smart watch. I, don't, I just have like a dumb person watch. But. <laughs> so you have those? Yeah, Philip has one. Okay, so, so if you don't have a smart watch, then you have to do it the old-fashioned way. Take your pulse. If your heart rate is at 100 beats a minute or more, you are in high stress, even if you don't think you are. And that's really where sometimes what's going on in the brain and in your mind can delude you into thinking that you're really not stressed because you're not thinking you are, but your body is saying, we are stressed, we are stressed, we are stressed. And so what happens is, is that if you have, if you can check your pulse or just look at your watch, it'll tell you, then that's a good clue as to whether or not you are ready to go to that other person and point out their fault to them with the idea of winning them over. Because what happens is when people are in this upper level, what happens is that they are in extreme fight, flight, freeze, or fix. 
So let's talk about what that is. All right, that's down below. See it, when the it happens? Okay. So God has made our bodies in an incredible way. Yes, Brian. I have a question. Do you tell the person that someone over to point something out or do you surprise them? <laughs> you jump them. <laughs> well, Brian, what do you do? Instead of you asking me, well, what do you do? I mean, what, what do you find works the best for both parties, not just for your ego? Well, I would think you'd have to share there's a little bit of an issue here because surprising somebody is... Yes. To me, it's the worst way for me to be dealt with. I would yeah. rather know that there's... Yeah. Personally, I hate it when I get blindsided. Yeah. Okay? And pastors get blindsided all the time. And some of that's because pastors don't handle it well when people come even without blindsiding. Okay, I mean, so we're, t we're talking about that. See, because the issue here is, think of it this way. What is the overall goal? A restoration of the relationship. That's right. See, the, over goal, the overall goal is to deal with the it in such a way that we don't create more it's. And sometimes that's what people do. They go, well, we fixed that one. Yeah, but you created 10 more because of the way that you did it. And then that went south. And then now things are worse. And then people say, well, I don't even know why I did it at all. Well, dummy, you did it poorly. Now we have to deal with it. But see that the restoration of the bridge is what we're looking for. So if that's my goal, I have to think to myself... Is jumping somebody or blindsiding somebody going to achieve that? The problem is, is that when people are up here from the 7 to 10 in terms of their intensity level, rational thinking switches off. Nobody can think rationally in 7 or 10 unless they've trained to do it. So who trains Think about this. Who trains to think rationally in highly stressful situations? Police, fire, Police, fire military. military. See, they train to do it all the time. Well, why do they do that? Why don't they just wait for the fire and then go and do it? They won't think clearly. They'll be reacting instead of... They'll be dead. Yeah. <laughs> That's why. So, in the same sense that First responders do this all the time. Why aren't we doing it? Why aren't we training ourselves to manage this, get it down to here, fight flight gets less, and then we're more able to reach out to each other in a way that actually will work as opposed to ways that will only add to the yuck pile. See, the problem with the yuck pile is that Whatever goes in the yuck pile does not just sit there. It ferments. <laughs> right? Isn't that what it does? It ferments. Absolutely it does. And it grows, and it's like black mold, and, you know, and who wants to reach into there? I don't. So then we just leave it. But the problem with leaving it is it makes it more. So, see, that's why Jesus talks about this idea that... Well, and we'll see another verse later on where he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because of that. See, th this exists because 
there's too many sons that went down on the anger. And then, therefore, gives the devil a foothold. He says, well, guess what? There's plenty of stuff in there that the devil would love nothing better than to say, oh, yeah, you know, that guy said he liked you, but, you know, what about that? Right? So, see, it's just there's such great wisdom in uh, relational wisdom here. So, so the idea would be is if I'm in high stress, I should not be talking to anybody. I assure you I'm talking to myself. <laughs> But that's a different thing. Yeah, Marty. Well, and something that I just think we have left out of this is as believers and relating to, you just said, who are we supposed to be talking to? We're supposed to be taking it to the Lord in prayer and saying, how am I supposed to handle it? Help me to calm it down so that when the time is right, that you show me the time is right, then I go and talk. Not just rely on upon ourselves but again it's prayer and going to the father it, it is but it's also some other things okay obviously have you ever prayed the angry prayer of the wounded person who wanted to stick it to the other person you ever prayed that prayer and asked god if he would join you in that effort you know because after all you're the one that's in the right how could god oppose you if you're in the right Right? God is all about truth, and what I think is truth, clearly you disagree with me, so what you think is not truth. Do you see how we go there? And the thing I'm saying is, is that when we're up here, it's a whole lot easier to believe our own press. When we are in high fight, flight, freezer fix, we're not listening to anybody, much less God even. See, so it, there, there's something to be said for how do I manage myself in that sense? Now, yes, prayer, I, I totally sing a hymn. That's one of the things that's real interesting. If you sing a hymn, it's pretty hard to stay up here. Because if you sing a hymn, it requires you to breathe. So those of you that know how to do yoga and, and Pilates and stuff like that, that really focuses on the sort of controlled breathing, that's huge here. Just giant. Because, again, the, the breathing aspect of this is that when people are up here, the heart rate speeds up and the breathing gets shallow and speeds up. And the body thinks it's going to die. Well, that'll put you in extreme thoughts right there. Okay? So i got to slow things down so that I can slow my thoughts down. I can slow my uh, chemistry down. And then I can think better. And when I can think better, then I can respond better. And maybe I actually can realize that maybe part of the it has to do with how I was, not just how the other person was. It's impossible to do that if you're between the seven or ten. So I put the six, the big six there, because what I like to encourage people to do is know your six. Know when, have some self-awareness about yourself. Know when you're going, at, when you're at the six, that's when you need to step in and help yourself. Because if you don't, you're going to go to the seven and then you're already at the ten. So we can talk more if you want to about how to do your six. Do you know your six? Well, there is a discipline to this, okay? There is, just like again, 
the firefighters, for example, they train all the time to go into this fake building with real fire and real smoke. And they do that because they know that when they get to the real building with the real fire and the real smoke, they have to be able to work together as a team. They have to be able to communicate well, and they can't be freaking out because freak out is death. Same thing here. The discipline of practicing this and actually doing it and not waiting until you're in the conflict with somebody and then saying, oh, yeah, okay, I'm going to start doing that. Your brain and your body won't let you do it. Because why, why do we do what we do? Ego. Because we keep doing it. It's so profound, yes. Yeah, Phil. Well, even, even new firefighters or, or rookie firefighters, when they undergo training, they are being trained under someone with experience in themselves. Yes. When we're talking about reconciliation or, or being prepared to have those tough conversations or checking ourselves to make sure we're in the right place, how do we establish that discipline with ourselves? Because the, the rookie firefighters don't train themselves. They learn those habits based on a more experienced person uh, that, that's helping to guide them. Yeah. So, so and, and I'm sure many of us can train ourselves to, to recognize uh, elevated, you know, elevated sources of tension and whatnot, but it can also be uncomfortable for us to do that self-reflection, that self-analyzation to, uh, to, to critique ourselves in that manner. Yep. Uh, and, and then that discomfort then guides us away from uh, developing that discipline. So yeah, I do, you think... any, do you have any recommendations on, on who we could, like, do we look up to someone else, find someone who could be a mentor to help us... Oh, yeah, everybody come to me. Yeah. Well, okay, so here's, this is a little off topic, but related. So my goal out of this is to see if we can't identify half a dozen people that would be willing to go through some more intensive training on how to be reconcilers and then could be mentors for others. Because... It's part of the, you know that old, what's that old proverb? You give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, teach a man to fish. What's the other one? What does it go with that? Teach a man to fish? Yeah. Okay, my goal is to teach people to fish so that they can teach others to fish. So see, that's my goal. And so maybe out of this study, we can identify, let's see, half a dozen people. In a church our size, we probably need that. Um, but a half a dozen people who have capacity to do it would be willing to do it and then uh, would, would embark on a more intensive sort of mentorship or whatever we call it. I haven't worked that all out in my head yet. But I just think that the, the Christian church has such a powerful message. Why are we muddying it up by the poor way that we're handling stuff? See, to me, that just dilutes the opportunity that we have to make a difference in that way, okay? And I think it's needed. So that's kind of my dream slash fantasy, you know, I suppose. Who knows if it, if it is or not. But anyway, that's, that, that's kind of where I'm going with this, okay? And again, not everybody's cut out for this. I get that. 
You know, some people really have a hard time. They, it's easy to go here, but it's really hard to come down here. Some of that's just the way you're, you're built. You know, there's some pretty intense people that have a hard time. Okay, they, that probably would be a temperament that would be better suited for something different, but not for this. But we still got to have this. Okay, somebody else had their hand up. Yeah, Kathy. You know, the irony is sometimes I think I find it easier to, say, confront, but to address an issue with a non-Christian than I do a Christian. Hmm. Because if they are Christian or claim to be Christian, they, they, they throw out the Bible verses, okay, and they know the buttons to push. So I find it easier to confront people who are not Christian. Okay. Because you can establish... You know, get rid of. Some, we we use our faith sometimes as a kind of as a weapon. We can. And that is, I think, part of what's driven some of the strife that we've seen over the last. Yeah, it can. It it. I I would say I I try not to judge whether a person's Christian or not on the basis of um, the Bible verse side or even what they do. I look at it more from a question of maturity and immaturity. Okay, that's just how I look at it. Because I don't really know that person's heart, and I don't know that part. All you can know is see how they treat people and how they act and deport themselves. That's yeah, it, it's kind of still that same thing. Of I can remember times when I was kind of rude to somebody, when I was kind of mean. I know, hard to believe, I know. Yeah, when I wasn't in my best with somebody, especially if I thought that I was in the right. You know, and one of the ways that we can sort of check ourselves at the door a little bit, check the ego at the door, is routinely ask people that really know you. Ask them if they will tell you what you are like to be around when you are right or think you are. <laughs> yeah, why don't we assign that one for homework? Let's see how many people would be willing to do that. See, because we're... Sometimes we're totally blind to how we are, but I guarantee you everybody else in the room knows how you are. And are you going to ask them to find out? You know? Now, I don't recommend doing it on Facebook because you'll get jumped by a million people. And there's not going to be any way of sorting out truth from whatever. So I would say don't do that. Okay. Yeah, Max. Uh, you know, uh, getting this con resolution going, I, I remember what I was taught as a kid, what's it called the golden rule, and they really don't teach that much or talk about it in school with, with the children, which I wish they could, and have it over the, we had it over the chalkboard. It was do unto others as you would have, you know, treat yeah, others right. as you want to be treated. Yeah. So if you start from that point, when you're going to approach somebody, you think, can think about how you want to be treated mm -hmm. if you were having someone come to talk to you. It's a, good, it's a good little thing to keep in mind. See, all these things. But what I'm saying is, is that when we're up here, we're not keeping anything in mind except self-preservation. When you're at a 7 or 10, the only thing you're thinking about, or if you're thinking at all, is self-preservation. And part of that, because God has built our bodies to do that. So if you look at, at the bottom there, that little graphic of when the it happens... There's actually a system called the reticular activating system. It's the fight-flight mechanism in the body. Don't bother looking up in the Bible to see if the RAS is mentioned in there. It's, a, it's not. But the evidences of it are everywhere. Okay, there's no question about that. But here's what you need to remember about the RAS system. It activates in one fifteen thousandth of a second. 
See, that God built our bodies to do what? To be able to handle threat, to be able to handle something that's dangerous, to, to know, and that's immediate like that. Snap your fingers like that, that is slower than one fifteen thousandth of a second. So what that tells you is you don't have time to talk yourself out of going there. You just get to decide how long you're going to stay there. And I think that's part of the issue. Tim, you had your hand up about an hour ago. Yeah. Yeah, and I have about the memory of a minute. So. <laughs> okay, if you'll think of it later. Okay? All right, so here's what I want you to do. Do you see all those little uh, things that are listed there under mind, body, stress, chemicals, flood you, etc.? You see that? Okay, put a check mark by each of the items that you are aware of. Every single one of these things is happening, and actually there's a list of about 10 more things. I just ran out of room. So put a check mark by those items that you are aware of that they're happening. Okay, just a little survey here. What are you aware of? Everything but decreased appetite. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Leah, I love you. I love you. Yeah. Now, what's interesting about that is when people are in the high stress, generally, they're not hungry. And then afterwards, they're extremely hungry. Yeah, Marlene. Movie memories. Movie memories. Are you aware of that? Movie memories? Yes. Yeah. Explain what you mean by that, because I don't know if everybody knows. Okay, if somebody says something and then you don't think fast enough that you have a comeback. Yeah. And then you go home and then it plays over and over. You replay it again, and don't you? you? stay up late at night and bed thinking about it until 2 or 3 o'clock. Exactly. Did you hear what she said? You're replaying it and you're going, oh, why did, I, why did I say that or why didn't I say that, you know? Yes, absolutely. The other part with movie memories is that if, it, if the thing that happened in the present is linked to something that happened in the past in a similar way, then we replay what happened in the past, even though it happened 20 years ago, it's not happening right now. The brain doesn't know the difference between five minutes ago and five years ago. It does not know that difference, all right? And so that's why very often things that, traumatic things that happen to people like a long time ago, like PTSD kinds of stuff, when that trigger happens, it's like they're experiencing it right now. So that's something. Okay, uh, what else are you aware of? Muscle tension. Muscle tension, most of, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, very good. What else? Anything else? Probably say what you shouldn't. Okay, now we can skip down to the other. See that other, the, that part are things that affect us relationally. So you hear only, you only hear half of what the person's saying when you're up at that high stress place, okay? Say what you shouldn't say. I don't know, does that affect anybody here besides Ann? Right, okay. Uh, what about what you do here, you probably interpret inaccurately. You ever done that? Well, I read between the lines. The body reacts, okay, fight, flight, we get that. Freeze, anybody know what freeze is? Anybody experience that? Where in the moment when the thing happens, you feel like everything stops and you cannot think of what to say. That happens to me all the time. That's exactly what happens to me. That's why on Sunday mornings, if you ever look at my bulletin, 
I've got all my cheat notes in it in terms of face the altar, face the congregation, turn to the left, turn to the right. I mean, it's like one of those scripts you see at, for theater people. It's like that. Now you think, gosh, Pastor Adi, you've been doing this for 40 years. Don't you know what to do by now? <laughs> yes, I do. But because I'm prone to brain freeze, in that moment, my brain goes, you don't know what you're doing. And I freeze, and it feels like it goes for five minutes, and it's only like two seconds. So to, to alleviate that, what I, I just recognize that in myself. Okay, that's how I am. So what I do is um, I put little symbols on there. And that way, then, even if I forget what to do, which I won't, but even if I did, I don't because I have the little symbol there. Okay? So again, see, some of it is you know yourself, and you accept it and don't feel bad about it. You just say, well, that's how it works for me. Because I know that freeze is one of those things that happens to my brain. Okay? It also happens when, um, when I'm walking up the stairs at my house, thinking very wholesome thoughts, carrying a glass of water or something for my wife to have. And unbeknownst to me, she is hiding around the corner and hoping that she can scare me when she gets to the top of the stairs. I know, it's, I, should, I should work on that with her. That, I should work on that. Can you believe that she would do that? Yeah, and so when it happens, when someone says boo, my, I literally feel like I'm going to have a heart attack right then. I don't feel like it, but everything just shuts down. So I'm just telling you, this is kind of what happens. Okay, okay so what is the fight response? What's the fight response? Strike back. Strike back in what way? Well, hopefully just verbal. Verbal, physical, or thoughts. Okay? What's flight? Leave. Leave. Okay? Freeze, we talked about. What is fix? You know what fix is? Fix is when the response is to placate whoever it is that's being the meanest. Just give them what they want. Okay? Does that solve anything? No, it does not. Now, it might buy you a little time, but it, does, it doesn't solve anything. Okay, so now you know what that is. All right, we need to stop for today. So what I'm going to say is between now and next week, don't do any of this because, because I don't want you to do it poorly. Okay, so just harbor everything. Put it in the yuck pile. We'll be able to deal with it next week. Okay, is that okay if we do that? No, I'm teasing, but... Um, you can certainly read this, and, but we're going to talk about, again, see the, the so here's the question I want to leave you with. How listenable are you? And if you're not, what do you need to do to become a person who is more listenable to? That's what we're going to be thinking about. Okay, let's go to prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that we as Christians and we in the church have to make a real difference in this just polarized world that we live in. There, there's polarization going on, certainly in society, in our country, culturally, in our own families, and to some degree, even in our own church. And it's just, you know, people feeling pretty tense about everything. So in what way might we be able to make the difference as ambassadors of reconciliation who have benefited from the reconciliation we have with you through Jesus. 
That's, the, and that's always the thing, is how do we offer to others what you have already given to us? So bless us in the coming days, dear Lord. Things are still very polarized. Things, everybody's sort of on edge. And help us to be instruments of peace and that the peace that we have as the gift from you is the peace that passes all understanding. Help us live in it. Help us share it. And then help us use that to propel us forward to make a difference in the lives of other people. So watch over us, dear Lord. Keep us safe until we're together again. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room. Here at Messiah Lutheran Church, our mission statement is sharing his light. That means sharing the light that is Jesus Christ and telling others about his gospel. If you want to join us in that mission, please share this podcast with someone that may want to come and better know the light of Jesus. Use one of our past episodes as a starting point to start a discussion with someone, or use a past series as a personal Bible study or devotional for your family or small group. If we've given any value to you at all, consider leaving this podcast a rating and review on iTunes. That will help us climb the iTunes rankings so we may better spread the reassuring good news of Jesus Christ and continue to share his light with anyone willing to listen. Thank you again so much for listening, and until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.